from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations, as you know, between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business, as well as to help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with John Dantzler, co-founder of Torch and Crown Brewery based in Manhattan, New York. John, how you doing, man? Doing all right. We're uh, hanging in there. Obviously, circumstances have been, uh, it's been a uh, challenging month for sure, but um, you know, I think we're we're pretty excited about what's going for- forward, and um, you know, specifically with how resilient our city's been. I mean, can we first talk about like Torch and Crown as a business? Because I think for people who don't haven't heard of you before, uh, I'd love to give them an idea of how long you guys have been around. Also, why you're so crazy to have a brewery in Manhattan when everyone else seems to think that like the cool places are Queens and Brooklyn. Um, so can you give us a little bit of an overview of, of the business and, you know, when you started it, why you started it, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, so my co-founder Joe Correa and I actually grew up together, um, right in the area. And when we were 16 years old, we got our fake IDs confiscated at a bar over in the East village. Which bar? And, Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. It was called bar none. It's still there today, actually. Um, we need to go by and thank them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but that was, you know, I, I like to say that our, um, our, our first foray into making beer was, was born of necessity. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't buy beer anymore due to the, uh, the ID confiscation. So we decided we'd make it. And first batch was, you know, just two young idiots, uh, trying to get drunk. Um, it was, we had a little Mr. Beer kit on my mom's kitchen stove. Wait, so you were making beer at 16? Yes. And your parents were like, sure, go for it. No, no. My mom was out of town and she came home <laughs> right as it was exploding all over her kitchen. So uh, quite the contrary. We, we actually both got grounded. Um, but that was we discovered something that um, something that we really enjoyed. And so fortunately, uh, we were able to get our parents on board to allow us to um, to to keep going with it. Um, and, you know, I think. All things considered, uh, they they saw it as a relatively safe hobby. You know, we they maybe they at least saw the scientific value in it. Right. Um, we were both kind of troublemakers and and you know the the rambunctious kids in school. So finding something that uh, that was you know had some some creative and scientific value uh, outside of school that we could be passionate about. I think uh, maybe they maybe they saw as the lesser of of evils. Um, but for whatever reason, they allowed us to keep going. And, and by the, uh, even by the second batch we had, um, we had done the first batch, you know, we, it exploded everywhere. We, we both got grounded, but the worst part about it was the beer was terrible. (laughs) And, (laughs) and Joe and I, you know, we were both athletes, both really competitive people. And it just, it bugged us that we found this thing that we enjoyed, but that we really sucked at. So, um, we bought, you know, bought every homebrewing book. That was on Amazon. I remember having to petition my mom to allow me to get out of being grounded to drive over to Joe's and switch books. That's funny. Um, and <laughs> by the second batch, which was a couple months later, uh, we had both done a fair bit of reading and and um, at least knew what we what we were trying to do and and kind of understood the process a little bit better. And um, from that point onward, over the next two years, from from ages sixteen to eighteen. Uh, we started winning a lot of uh, local and national homebrewing awards. I mean, you know, nothing to nothing to write home about, but enough that we knew that if we did keep at it, um, there was something there. Did they know that the people who were submitting the beers for these awards were <laughs> six, were under twenty one? 
No, they did not. Uh, we actually sent our dads to accept some of the, the awards. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, Joe and I are both lucky to be juniors or to be, I'm the third Joe's junior, um, but to have dads with the same names. So just uh, That's actually really <laughs> funny. sent them in our place. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, some, and there are, there were some, some local kind of the North Jersey homebrewers clubs, some local homebrewer clubs that we started going to. And I think people had an idea that we were maybe couple of years south of proper but right um you know I, I think once it became clear that we were we weren't these two idiot kids you know just just trying to get drunk that we actually had you know spent a lot of the time um to to understand the process and that it really was a you know an educational and creative pursuit for us um you know the homebrewing community was was really accepting and we learned a ton from them that's awesome so let's flash forward to now yeah so that was that was ten years ago. We uh, we were we were eighteen um, when we when we set off to college. We kind of you know both decided that that this was something that we wanted to do in um, in a few years time. That we wanted to open a brewery together. That and that was back kind of right as the craft beer boom uh, was starting. And you know the 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 viable model then was find find cheap space. Um, you know, with, with a large warehouse where you could pump out a lot of beer, sign up with every distributor you can imagine. And be, just because demand for craft beer was growing so quickly, the sales would make themselves. And, you know, Joe and I have done thousands of things really wrong over the, <laughs> over the last 10 years. But I, I think one thing that we really did correctly was understand that um, we needed to take the time, one, to build our own skill sets, um, but two, to, to really understand and hone in on um, what kind of business model we wanted to run and, and, um, really understand, uh, what the market was and kind of where things were headed rather than just jumping in as, as young kids right after our first, let's open a brewery conversation. Right. That makes sense. (laughs) I think there are a fair amount of breweries out there today that have had that conversation and started, you know, starting, started looking for real estate the very next day. So, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely glad that we we really took the time to flesh things out. So over the next few years, uh, we both uh, went to college up in Massachusetts, and um, we we sort of charted out our next um, our next plans. We went through you know hundreds, probably thousands of iterations of um, of business plans, and um, you know even then Joe was the more talented brewer of us two. So he studied chemistry and uh, then moved out to Oregon, uh, became a brewer for Rogue. Oh wow! Where where he kind of cut his teeth, um, and and I went into into finance. So um, you know, like, thinking this was it was sort of always always with uh, always as a means to an end, always with this as the end goal. Okay. Um, but you know, deciding basically what could what could the two of us do to make ourselves the most sort of formidable team, um, and and kind of have I guess all of our bases covered for uh, for entering this business. So. Over the next few years, that changed from you know what what the viable model was and and um, and kind of where people were finding success uh, morphed a lot you know from from this sort of cheap real estate pump out volume have distributors do the work for you uh, on the brand building front play um, to to a much more intimate experience um, which was something that really always uh, always excited Joe and I the most I mean what we really love about about beer, about the beer community, uh, the overall experience is just, is that it brings people together. Um, and you know, the, the sort of camaraderie and 
really that it's a facilitator of good times. And so, um, you know, we, we always wanted a, always wanted to build something that, um, that could be kind of right in the heart of the action and could really eliminate the distance or minimize the distance between, um, our, our creative process that we're so passionate about and the people who are drinking our beer. Interesting. So why, before we get into, um, what's happening now, why Manhattan? It's kind of, to us, it was sort of the next logical step coming after, um, you know, coming after this, well, we want to be, we want to be right in the heart of things. We want to be, um, right near, you know, as close as possible, uh, to the people who are enjoying our beer. And, you know, that would lend itself to just traditional brew pub model, open up, you know, open up anywhere, open up a small restaurant, small, uh, brewery system and serve your beer directly over the bar. Um, but we had kind of, I think grander plans than that in, uh, from the side of wanting to be really, um, you know, be really within the fabric of our city. Joe and I both grew up in the area. We, we love it here. We could, we've both been around the world, but could never imagine living anywhere else. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the, I I always like to say it's like the energy and the drive. There's, there's a buzz here. That's just, that's felt nowhere else in the world. Um, and so we wanted to, to sort of take this idea of being this sort of small community brewery, um, but place it right in the middle of the largest, most densely pos- populated, most energetic community that we could think of. Um, and so because of that, you know, it never really made sense to us to, to look out in the industrial areas and in the outer boroughs um, or, or in the suburbs or anywhere else. It was, it was always, you know, we derive our own inspiration from the energy that's right in the heart of things. And, uh, we want to chase that. And, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's so, it's become so cliche at this point, you know, I mean, there's dozens of songs about, you know, you you got Sinatra talking about New York, New York, it's become cliche and romanticized, but like the under, underneath all that kind of corniness, there's, there's a truth to that people come to the city to make it kind of regardless right. of the craft, um, you know, to face, to stand up against the toughest competition in the world. And we knew that coming here, coming to, to lower Manhattan, that's exactly what we'd be doing. There are, um, there's tons of great beer in New York city already out in the outer boroughs and New York imports the best of the best from, from everywhere across the country and across the world. And, that idea of, you know, having to stand up against the very best from day one was something that really excited us. And, you know, we thought if done correctly, um, it was sort of, it it would be a mutual thing. We would feed off the city's energy, um, you know, and the city would, would take note of, of these people who are here doing, um, building a brewery in kind of, in many ways, in the hardest way possible. And, you know, done correctly, which I'm not going to say if we're doing correctly or not yet. I think the jury's still out on that one. But if we do it correctly, I mean, that's that's a thing that we think people will really rally around. So let's talk about what's happening now. So basically, um, you know, we're we're in this crisis. We're in a shutdown. You guys were going to open a, a brew pub or had you opened the brew pub yet already in Soho? No, we were weeks away. Right. So you were going to open a basically a, a restaurant. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and now everything has changed, right? The way that people get beer has changed. Um, I was saying actually recently that I really miss craft beer, probably more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. So the way people drink beer has changed, the way people discover beer has changed. No one's going to rotator bars anymore. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted your business and what have you done to adapt? 
Oh, it's ground us to a halt. Our business was was really close to 100% reliant on on-premise. You know, we had always had always planned to um, you know to sell our own package product to go from the brewery, um, as well as to to launch a direct consumer delivery service down the road. But for the meantime, I mean, as we'd started out, 85% of our sales were were overdraft, which went from went overnight from growing rapidly to no longer existing. Right. Um, so you know, it 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 was a massive impact for us, um, and so we we had to really. Uh, come together and um, think about what the next phase was going to be and how we were, uh, frankly, how we we're going to survive. This this uh, has been obviously a um, you know a, a massive, uh, massively difficult process for every hospitality business, but especially you know, but you know us us right in that boat, uh, very close to opening our own hospitality um, location as well as as you know them being our that being our primary uh, source of customers, and so we had to, we had to think about how we could reach people in this sort of in this new normal. And this new normal meant people weren't leaving their homes. We need to get to people's homes. So, you know, again, this it's sort of I guess, in in some ways, this was a pivot on a dime um, to or, offer uh, offer in home delivery service. But in other ways, it was a continuation of kind of the spirit of of why we're downtown to begin with. Um, you know, which is to get as close to, um, you know, to, to people and, and be face to face and really, really create deep and meaningful uh, connections with with our our customers. Um, and, and what better way is there to do that than literally walking up to people's doors? Totally. <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was basically it was a program that uh, we had always had ambitions to launch, and you know the plan was kind of get the flagship brewery and restaurant down in Soho up and running, and um, you know build our brand off of that, and then sort of move that outward into delivery. And that was going to be probably on the one to three year horizon. And so mm-hmm. we really hadn't done much work on it, to be honest, aside from just having these, you know, lovely grand ideas. Um, and overnight, you know, we, we had a we had a team team meeting where we basically had to sit down and say, you know, that thing we've been sort of aspiring to to launch in one to three years. Uh, we got 48 hours to do it. What has this done to your overall timeline um, and sort of, I guess, you know, every business owner, uh, whether it's our business in media, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's um, someone who makes, I don't know, you know, a startup company that's making luggage or whatever has cash flow models and uh, is always thinking about that. Like, how much have you adapted? Um, and what has this done to what your timeline looks like? What have you thought about that now you may scrap or that now, now you may add? Like you said, you, you brought on delivery much faster than you thought. I would assume you probably are going to consider keeping that once this is all over. Um, and, and what is your, you know, how often are you talking to your co-founder? Oh, I mean, we're we're in in constant contact, um, either over the phone or or on Slack. I mean, you know, dozens of times a day. But um, you know, in terms in terms of yeah, it's it's changed a lot of a, a lot of sort of what we've what we've been um, planning to do. So I guess to to fully dial into our history, uh, we we decided and, and became set on this idea to open a, a brewery in lower Manhattan, uh, which, you know, hadn't been done before, at least to, you know, to the scale that we're doing and set out to find real estate. 
um, which it took, it was a process of, you know, over two years, we looked at over 250 places. Uh, we had a couple leases that, you know, that were signed or close to signed that, um, we had to pull back from due to engineering diligence. Um, we actually got sued by a co-op board out of, out of one location. So it was a, oh, lovely. a long, <laughs> long and arduous process, um, getting to where that was. And in the meantime, there's a brewery in the Bronx, um, that was a, a larger facility and larger brew system than, than we'd initially planned. We're, we're running a 10 barrel system down in, uh, in Soho, and this was a 30 barrel system up in the Bronx. Um, and it made sense. Uh, we were able to acquire that for, you know, for, for very cheap. And, uh, it made sense to, to turn that basically into, into a different way of interacting with the New York city beer scene, which was contract brewing. Right. Uh, well before we brewed any beer with torch and crown on, on the can label, uh, we were making beer for other breweries in New York city. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's, you know, we have a, a long list of, of breweries that, um, that we've, uh, that we've partnered with, that we've worked worked for for over the last couple of years, and um, you know, it, it gave us it was it's really fun working with other breweries, and it gave us a, uh, a a great way to be a part of the New York City brewery scene, aside from just you know pushing our own brand out next to people. Um, so you know, that's something that we've that we've really enjoyed. Um, but from a we're we're able to do it profitably, which is great. But um, in times like this. Uh, cash flow is in many ways much more important than ultimate profitability. Right. And, you know, with, with sort of as, as revenues are drying up the, the business models that take, you know, 30, 60, um, in some cases more days from when your when your cash outlay for ingredients happens until when you're being paid for product, um, you know, those days matter a lot more. Um, in, in the, the sort of the interim in which, you know, in which you're trying to, to float essentially from, from spending money to, uh, to, to receiving a return on that. And in that, um, viewed in that light, the, uh, the contract brewing business is not a, uh, very efficient use of capital. And, um, you know, when we're now, we're now in, in a position where we're, we need to conserve cash however possible. Um, the, this, the delivery program, and, and I'd love to chat more about it in a second, but, um, it's been, it's been incredible for us. It's, it's far exceeded our expectations. Um, but just from the, uh, you know, it's not, it's not replacing what we were doing on the, at, at least, um, from a size perspective on the contract side. And, you know, we're, we're fighting hard to, uh, be able to retain all of our employees. We, we, have made a lot of local hires, um, you know, up in the Bronx and um, throughout New York City. And uh, we've made it kind of our core tenant to really take care of our people um, really from from our first outside hire. And that includes offering fully paid health insurance, um, you know, living wage above above average uh, benefits package kind of across the board. And, um, you know, that 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 has that that has come into flux um, is 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 a terrifying reality, and so right. um, for now, at least in the short term, uh, we we really need to gra- gravitate towards uh, uses of cash that are going to be you know the most um, I guess that are, that are going to have the shortest cycle and that are going to be the most capital efficient. So let's talk really quickly about the delivery business. So yeah, how does it work, and um, who's running it? I assume you. <laughs> <laughs> um in part me it's definitely been a 
um, I guess, management by committee. And we have, we're lucky to have a, a tremendous team. I mean, when, um, when, when the shutdown was announced on March 13th, uh, we got together with our team that Friday night and uh, had a meeting, you know, to discuss basically what are we going to do and how, how are we going to get this, this program, this, you know, which is a, an incredibly co complex uh, logistical program uh, up and running basically in 48 hours. And um, our whole team, you know, basically pulled all-nighters um, that entire weekend. Uh, Chris, who you know, uh, built, built our full um, website and e-commerce platform from scratch. Wow. Um, and our, uh, our sales and operations team got to work on the logistics side. Um, you know, the actual kind of back end, what, what happens once an order comes into, into the portal until when it goes to someone's front door, um, how do we manage, you know, how do we manage routing? How do, how do we, uh, optimize, you know, our own, um, delivery time spent, what outside resources can we use? And everything was on the table. And we basically, you know, iterated through a few different whiteboards in 48 hours to be able to launch, uh, that, that beginning of that week. Um, and you know, this, it's been just incredibly, uh, exciting to see, to watch, to watch my team work. They're a group of fighters that, uh, has really done a phenomenal job getting this thing from, from literally just an idea to out in the market. And so how that works, uh, we, we have basically, uh, rotating, rotating shifts. Um, everyone can, can do everything at this point, um, from, you know, running, our uh, our dispatch services so actually uh the the full um full full customer customer service answering phone calls dealing with dealing with orders you know if there are errors in orders or kind of things like that and uh getting getting our drivers routed and then uh we have multiple drivers that are out in the city at all times um able to uh fulfill orders you know hopefully Hopefully with a little advance notice, so routes can be planned. Although uh, a lot of the time it's fulfilling things on the fly, and so it's finding the the most efficient way to to get beer to people. You know, that's um, that's quickest, uh, that's coldest, and you know that that's uh, that's going to allow us to be able to hit not only not only them but the five deliveries after that. So we've built up. We're we're now able to fulfill deliveries anywhere in Lower Manhattan, anywhere under Twenty Third Street, in under an hour, and um, anywhere in Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Queens on same day delivery. That's amazing. And do you think that this will ma maintain after quarantine is over that you'll continue to do delivery? You know, I hope so. Uh, it's something that we've really enjoyed. It's given us a way to interact with, with our customers that, that we've loved. Um, you know, and so you think about it, we're kind of right now fighting two battles. The first is that, you know, basically changing the way people buy beer. People, I think beer is something that has resisted uh, e-commerce trends thus far. Um, you know, there are there are alcohol delivery services that that have existed uh, before this, but um, beer has definitely it's I think more of a of you know a purpose based on occasion, and um, because of that, it's it's been difficult to crack for these e-commerce companies, and we're now changing the way that people buy beer, changing the way that people interact with that whole purchasing experience. But then the second battle we're fighting is trying to send the message of who the hell we are. Right. Um, you know, we're still, we, we, I like to think of us as a, a sort of pre-launch brand. We've been in market now where we've, 
um, you know, had a tremendous response at the the bars and restaurants that we've served our, our beer in over the over the past year. But our flagship brewery um, and restaurant where people can come and really, really get to know us, really interact with us uh, is still, um, you know, unfortunately, a couple weeks away uh, from being open when this whole when this whole thing hit. So uh, it's it's both. Um, you know, it's, it's both sort of changing consumer preferences as well as brand building. Um, and, you know, thought of that way, what better, um, what better interaction can you have with a customer? What, what more meaningful way to build your brand than literally showing up at people's doors and being able to hand them, uh, or, you know, contact, contactless delivery, obviously, um, but being able to, to place beer in front of them and look them in the eye and, and, say this is who we are and thank you for your support that's amazing well john this has been a, a really great conversation i really appreciate you taking the time um i i feel like we could talk for another 30 40 minutes about everything that's going on um but i don't want to take up too much more of your time um so i want to thank you so much for for letting us know everything that you're doing and if someone is listening in the new york area how could they find the bear right on our website torchandcrown.com that's all spelled out and it's it's right there order beer hit it and we'll have it to you either inside an hour or right on the same day awesome well thank you so much for taking the time man i really appreciate it thank you thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast if you enjoy listening to us every week please leave us a review or rating on itunes stitcher spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts it really helps everyone else discover the show now for the credits vine pair is produced and hosted by zach jabal Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.